What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm UB, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Choose Inclusion. Uh, today, uh, we are doing an early morning recording, but it sounds like everyone is in good spirits. Uh, so let me say hi to my co-host, UB and Mike. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Fantastic. Thank you, Nina. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, we have an amazing guest today. Um, Nina Patil is an Asian-American C-suite executive on a mission to create a corporate culture that supports all employees to do their best work. So Nina is the general counsel at Jazz Pharmaceuticals. She uh, oversees board member stakeholder relations, workplace culture, diversity and inclusion initiatives, all while juggling her role as a mother. Uh, we are super excited to have you here today, Nina. Uh, we have two Ninas on the podcast, so we're going to do our best to try and not confuse both of us. But Nina, how are you today? Good morning. Hi, Nina, uh, Ubi, and um, Mike. Great to, to see you and to be here with you. Doing great this morning. Uh, it's a Friday before a long weekend, and uh, great to be here. Yeah, so let's let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Um, you know, you are the only person of color on the leadership team at Jazz Pharmaceuticals. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of what 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 is your role there and what are your experiences um, kind of being the only person of color at Jazz? Great, Nina. Um, so yeah, so I you know I I think it's um it's an interesting. Uh, position to be in. Um, you know, when I chose to, to join the company, I was coming to a company that was committed to two really important things. Um, and it was, um, it was important to me that I shared the, the values and, and the focus of the company. And those two things um, were building and continuing to have a really strong culture um, and making it really the best place uh, to work for our employees. And it was also having impact, um, having impact on, on patients and our community uh, where we where we work and and where we serve and so um, that was compelling to me and uh, the fact that uh, my joining of the company was based on um, a, a real focus on uh, diversifying the leadership um, committing to both gender um, ethnic racial um, and other elements of diversity um, within our leadership was really um, I thought a great opportunity for me. Um, so, you know, I am, you know, one of many leaders at the company that are committed to diversity, equity, inclusion, and really it's, it's a great um, uh, opportunity, I feel, to be um, in the C-suite and, and being able to influence um, in that role. I love it. Thank you so much, Nina. We are truly honored to have you on uh, <laughs> uh, in your intro. I don't think you have nearly enough hats. Uh, so <laughs> so for you to carve out a little part-time hat and be a, a, a guest on our podcast, we really appreciate that. But um, okay, so where the rubber meets the road, like I, I love hearing the talk of, of um, C-suite uh, uh, team members being all in, can you give us some practical, tactical 
Like what, what is you, what are you and your team doing to actually, um, you know, help, help your organization truly feel like it is uh, embracing um, all forms of diversity? So, you know, for, for the company, it was, uh, and it started with really acknowledging where we are. Um, and that is acknowledging that we're not necessarily where we want to be um, when it comes to um, creating um, the most inclusive environment and, and having belonging um, among a diverse set of employees. And so, you know, we start um, with the journey of, of observing and learning. Um, and, and that's very much an iterative uh, journey, right? You, you observe and you learn and you take steps uh, and, you, and you act and then you do it again um, and you do it again. And so for us, it has been a lot of um, dialoguing, uh, dialoguing as a large group, um, talking in smaller groups, um, pulling in um, insights from our teams and from employees who are courageous enough to talk to us about it. It's not easy. Um, and uh, it's, it's really been um, really amazing uh, for me to be able to see um, where some of my colleagues are learning about their um, their history and their experiences and, and how it's made them uh, and shaped them, you know, as far as who they are today, um, but this willingness to continue to learn and grow. And so that's where we are now. Um, we are putting, um, you know, kind of our, our um, ourselves in a position now where we know what can have the most impact for us in this moment. Um, and so, you know, excited to be rolling out some initiatives um, as it relates to um, bringing a diverse group of, of colleagues together to help us with um, business um, challenges and business um, priorities. And, and um, again, modeling uh, what we hope to continue to build and grow in the company. And how, how does that, how does that work sort of mirror the work you all are trying to do and let maybe let's start with the pandemic because you know i think one thing that has become abundantly abundantly clear during covid is sort of these health disparities that exist between different types of communities right and it seems to be impacting or it is impacting um communities of color and different minority groups much harder than it is you know the the white community so how do you all how do you balance that the work that you're doing internally but also the work that you're doing externally with those with with these different types of communities like what does that what does that look like how does that how does that work yeah so um you know we obviously when when covid um you know really kind of came came to be for all of us earlier this year um you know we had really um in addition to our business, and so I'll, I'll kind of put the business, uh, just the day-to-day -day operations of the business to the side for a minute, because of course, business continuity is something that all companies right uh, jumped right into. Um, we, we focused on three groups of stakeholders, our employees, um, uh, our communities, um, and our patients, and really um, thought through what is the impact on those groups, um, and how can we um, do our part to help and support them. And so, um, you know, obviously for our employees, it looked very different. Um, it was all about creating um, an environment where um, we were caring for our employees, we were, we were taking care of their health and their well-being, as well as their mental health and, and um, security, um, but also ensuring that they had what they needed to continue to be productive and also meet the commitments of, of their 
uh, families and, and those around them. Um, in our communities, it was really looking at where the needs are, addressing um, not just um, you know, health related um, elements uh, directly, but thinking about things like food insecurity and how we can help and support there. Um, we were in a unique position to have facilities in the northern part of Italy. And so uh, we were a company who maybe more quickly than companies that operate solely in the United States or, or maybe in other regions, we appreciated the impact that it, that COVID was having um, across communities. And, and even in that setting started to understand um, the disproportionate impact um, of certain parts of, of the community, just hearing that from our colleagues um, in Italy. So we understood that. And so we were kind of primed to really think through, um, you know, how we wanted to be responsive there. And then, of course, with our patients, it was the same thing in that we wanted to make sure that we were uh, ensuring that patients continue to have access to um, really life-saving medications, medications that were really important to their health and well-being. Um, but within that, also starting to um, observe, right, that um, there were there were groups of patients where that might be harder to ensure that continuity. Um, we had um, ongoing clinical trials that we wanted to ensure uh, we could continue to um, to serve those patients. And again, understanding um, the challenges, right, for those who um, need to transport themselves um, or you know live far farther away. Um, or alternatively, that were in other situations where um, you know they needed support outside of simply just the, the medication or the treatment that we provide. So, um, so it really was um, understanding pretty quickly. Um, but we, like everyone else, really started to observe um, and and really um, note that the trends around the disproportionate impact uh, that COVID was starting to have on um, certain populations, um, black and brown. Um, uh, uh, Americans and in particular and and our urban centers and, and how that was manifesting itself um, and you know it really was something that um, uh, you know coming from a public health background and understanding some of those factors and, and the determinants of health you know um, really shouldn't be surprising but um, it was really um, eye-opening to see that um, and to really think about um, what that means for us and, and how we want to going forward respond to that. So you just uh, kind of touched on clinical trials a little bit. And, uh, you know, from our previous conversation, I was really fascinated about what, you know, kind of how do uh, pharma companies, you know, address the health disparities? And I, I love that you're looking at the social determinants of health. Like it's not just healthcare, but like housing and access to food and all that stuff. But one of the things that pharma companies, um, need to do in order to get a drug to market is do clinical trials, right? And um, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what's happening with clinical trials as it relates to communities of color? What does that impact mean? And kind of what, what we need to see happen to change it? Yeah, so I mean, it all it it all starts with the the products and the and the drugs in our case that we're developing, and so um, you know you uh, study. I mean, the, the way it works, right? You study 
drugs in certain populations, um, and that leads to um, data that, that companies, uh, sponsors generate and ultimately support getting products to market. Um, and so it is um, the case that if you continue to study drugs in only certain um, populations, that those populations tend to be the ones that, that gain access to those products and certainly where the outcomes um, that are assessed um, are assessed really to address their health needs. Um, and so creating um, broader access to uh, clinical trials is extremely important. It's one of the first steps, uh, you know, as companies that we can do to ensure health equity ultimately um, in, in our space. And so, um, you know, where you, um, how you design a, a trial, um, it, it starts with that, right? So um, you can imagine that there are certain populations where, um, and I mentioned this before, transporting themselves and getting to a clinic or getting to a hospital um, to either get the treatment or oftentimes during clinical trials to get assessed um, in between cycles um, can be really challenging. Um, if someone does not live close to an academic medical center, which are typically in, in more urban or suburban areas, um, that's you know long distance travel that oftentimes requires them to rely on other people and have transport in you know pr private transportation. So it sounds really. Um, you know, in some sense, simple, um, but it can be challenging. And so um, to really design how you assess um, a health throughout a clinical trial becomes a really critical part to ensuring broad access to those studies and treatment and ultimately care. Um, and so there are ways to do that. It's certainly with technology now, um, we have such amazing ways to track um, um, health data um, and for people to um, do, you know, their own assessments in their homes. Um, and, and with, um, you know, crises, you know, innovation comes, right? And so we're even seeing in the last several months, um, companies forming, startup companies forming to help fill the void where in, in the world of COVID, um, you know, folks were, um, in their homes, we're not able to leave their homes. Um, we have oncology products. Certainly, um, people suffering from uh, cancer are uh, more susceptible and, and had more um, risk of, of um, COVID. And so they were typically staying home. Clinics were not encouraging their patients to come in if they didn't have to. Um, uh, procedures were treated as elective and therefore um, were not prioritized. Um, but there are companies forming out there that are actually um, creating ways to provide in um, almost inpatient care to, um, to people in their homes. And that opens up a whole world of opportunity when it comes to uh, clinical trials in, partic in particular, Nina, which is, you know, your question, but also ultimately, um, you know, how we care for patients. Um, but accessing technology and innovation that allows us to change where treatment can occur. Um, mobile treatment centers, right? Bringing, bringing the care uh, to patients. Um, that will allow us to broaden who we include in clinical trials and ultimately um, who gets the benefit of, of the innovation that we're focused on. Going back to um, the first question that Mike asked about diversity in the organization. You know, something I always find fascinating um, is, and this goes for a lot of things, and one of the things we always talk about is, you know, if, if candidates can't see themselves represented in the organization they're applying for, then they can't see themselves actually belonging there, right, and being successful there. So kind of in that tone, 
how do you, because it, it's it for like um, mental health, for health in general, I always feel like patients of color and minority groups who can't see themselves represented in, you know, the, 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 the health workers who are trying to help them, it just, it creates a distance there or why there isn't an opportunity for, there isn't a lot of kind of counseling therapy opportunity for people of color because there aren't a lot of people of color in those, in that profession. Yeah. How, so, so does, is that part of the conversation as well? Like as you try to diversify the organization and the organ to help, you know, and, and working with more diverse organizations, for example, is that part of the conversation? Uh, yes, uh, it is. And I think it should be more of the conversation, right? I mean, we're not, right. uh, we're not closed uh, systems, right? So a company, um, it's not just about what we do within the walls of our organization. And in fact, I'm, you know, increasingly becoming more, more passionate about and a proponent of really what's happening in the public spaces, right? Where how, how organizations can kind of uh, collaborate with each other and think about the, the bigger systemic changes that we want to make together, right? If we kind of pool our energy and pool our resources together. So absolutely the case that we can, um, to your point, um, UB, uh, really focus on uh, trying to recruit diverse talent into roles, whether it's in um, on the scientific side or, uh, you know, in different parts of the organization for jazz, but also as you talk about the healthcare system, you know, on the for providers, right, to really encourage um, that through their recruiting. But if you don't have the candidates or, or the folks that have had the opportunity um, to develop the skills to, to be um, available for those roles, um, then it's going to become a very challenging thing, right? So, so I think it's it's twofold. It's really thinking about um, you know how we. Uh, create roles um, to to really encourage and foster diverse candidates to put their hat in the ring and, and to to be um, eligible to take on those roles, right? Um, not adding extra degrees for a role that aren't necessarily critical for someone to do that role really well. Um, but it's also thinking about what's happening around you. So, um, you know, take my, you know, an example for me where um, the legal profession, um, like many, uh, have not been really great about uh, diversity uh, in all cases. And so um, there are a lot of initiatives and, and we're part of an organization um, called the Leadership Council for Legal Diversity, um, where we really are focused on, you know, with through law firms and in-house legal departments supporting um, diverse um, law students um, uh, through mentorship and other programs, as well as um, folks in legal organizations um, to help support the diverse um, lawyers to help support their development. Um, so you have to really invest in all sides of that um, in order to ensure that, you know, to your point, someone sees um, themselves, right, in, in the people uh, around them and roles uh, and opportunities that they aspire to, to have themselves. Um, and that goes for someone like me, right? I mean, it, it's often the case as you all started uh, the podcast mentioning, right, I'm, I'm the only person of color in, in my C-suite. Um, I have throughout my career often been the only person of color or only woman in the room. Um, and um, it really is um, something that uh, impacts, uh, you know, you really have to fight through sometimes to recognize that you, you deserve to be there and you, you have a seat at the table and you should have that seat at the table. Um, so, you know, part of my goal is to, to make sure that I can be that um, visual uh, for people around me. 
I I so appreciate that, and I I want to uh, love the, the the direction you were going, Ubaldo, with uh, with this, uh, Nina. So, kind of um, you know combining you know all the conversation now, especially with what uh, your organization is doing with the pandemic, and you, you used a really key word there is like you have to be super intentional about designing. Uh, a system that is supportive to your to your patients to your clients, and I think I think in the same vein you have to uh, with that lens also then um, you know can you learn from that experience from this experience that you're going through right now and bring some of that very intentional design aspects mm-hmm. to your um, very intentional and that's that's why we have the the you know our podcast is choose inclusion because you have to choose that. So can you bring some of that internally and and learn from what you're doing with the pandemic to maybe augment or maybe even enhance what you're currently doing? Yeah. So two things there, Mike, for me, uh, it has to be intentional. It has to be integrated um, into the business and what you what you do every day. Um, It can't it can't just sit off to the side, right? It can't just be the feel good stuff, um, you know, that um, maybe historically, whether it's diversity and inclusion programs have been, you know, kind of sitting off to the side, maybe in an HR organization um, or um, social impact initiatives that are just really kind of a corporate giving program, again, sitting off to the side. Um, It has to be front and center and integral into how we view our business. Um, And so we at Jazz have adopted a shared value approach um, to our um, corporate social responsibility and social impact, um, uh, corporate responsibility, sorry, and social impact um, initiatives and programs. Um, And we very much are doing the same with DE&I. And so we're really asking ourselves, where can we uh, very intentionally focus that has an impact in society um, and on the DEI front, but also has the ability to help support us and drive our business um, and to be uh, responsive and, and um, meet the expectations of all the stakeholders around us, um, patients, um, employees, of course, shareholders um, and our communities. And so um, it really is about strategy um, and really integrating everything that you do into um, you know, the overall corporate strategy. Um, our purpose as a company at Jazz um, is, is very simply put, uh, we're about innovation and it's to transform the lives of, of patients. And so everything that we do um, must and should ladder up to that. Um, and, you know, we define patients as all patients, right? It's not okay just for it to be some patients. Um, and so we, we really are trying to um, make it part of what we do every day. Um, and, and, you know, that it is kind of the North Star that guides all of our employees and that it's very clear um, that that's what we're trying to do. And so, you know, when you think about, um, you know, how do you, how do you develop um, in our world um, products? Um, treatments uh, for for patients, really asking yourselves, how do you do that um, in a way that's responsive to all patients? Um, And so we're starting, you know, we're we're, we're kind of on that journey, uh, Mike. So we're we're starting um, to do that more and more. And, and, you know, I'm I'm really hopeful that it will become just part of uh, what we do and and how we do it um, going forward. I, I love it. And I, um, just a quick comment. I, I don't know if I've ever, and Nina, um, co-host Nina and Ubaldo, 
I don't know if any of our guests have been general counsel and leading the DE&I charge for any organization we've ever talked to. Is that, that seems like a first to me. It is. It absolutely is. And I, and I actually, I want to do a follow-up question, Nina, to that. Um, how do you go about pushing the leadership team to change their lens on how they approach this, to, to take it out of it just being an HR initiative and it being integrated? Well, what's been your successful tactics in getting the leadership team to get on board with that kind of thinking? Yeah, so I have to start by saying I, I have a, a great partner on the DEI, and that's um, my um, chief HR officer at the company, Heidi Manna. So I have to at least give her a shout out and, and say that we are partners, and she's doing a lot of the, the great work with her team um, on the HR side as well. So I, I want to start with that. But um, how do you um, get buy-in. Um, and for me, it's about champions, right? It's not just about we're aligned and we're supportive, but that that um, there are champions across the organization within the leadership. Um, so being in, um, in the sector that I'm in, um, data speaks, right? So we're all about scientific data and data. And so um, that's what I found to, to be very impactful and to help us um, be successful in getting, getting folks both on board and committed and, and, and ultimately um, serving as a champion for us. And so really, um, you know, of course, I don't have to tell this group about the data um, that exists to demonstrate that um, truly diverse, equitable and inclusive environments um, in corporate settings drive business results. Um, it's, it's just there. The data is compelling and it's, and it's obvious. And, and for those of us who have had the, um, the benefit of working in um, truly, you know, diverse and inclusive environments. We know that, right? We, we can see it. We know what happens in a room when you get a diverse set of perspectives. Um, it's explosive. It's exciting. Um, so that, that's where I start. Um, and, um, and then it really is about, you know, the storytelling um, and really giving people um, a sense of the impact that we can have um, at a very personal level. Um, for me, ultimately, it's about, you know, what, what do I, um, what makes me feel good at the end of the day is having an impact on individuals. It really is at that very personal level. And so um, being able to share with people the impact that we can have, um, again, whether it's with a patient or an employee or someone in our community based on the work that we do. Oh, I think those are two amazing tactics <laughs> to to make that happen. And I hope a lot of our listeners take that away as as kind of action items that they can really think about on how they can push their own leadership to to make that happen. And so how I guess, my, you know, you know, one thing, um, social impact is, is a big thing, right? Uh, that I think a lot of people, especially right now, it feels like we're all trying to impact a bigger picture. How do you balance those that that with well being being a for profit, but just you know, how, yeah, like how do you you know because it's it's that's a hard concept, right? And it, it's yeah. you know some people define it differently than others, but I, I really feel like the way we're gonna see true change is if more and more organizations 
shift their focus to impact society in a much bigger way than just what they're selling. Yeah. Well, I think for me, I truly believe and have, um, you know, subscribed to the thinking out there that um, meeting societal needs and addressing um, societal issues will allow for-profit entities and organizations to be successful. Um, you know, we, we can't operate successfully if things around us are broken and not working. Um, you can't um, maximize value for an organization in my world in healthcare if you don't address um, what are the elements of our healthcare system that need to be addressed. Um, and you know, I believe that. I, I really do. I mean, it, again, it's just something that I think has gained a lot more attention right now. And we have large shareholders, um, right? We have um, we have the Black Rocks of the world and, and others talking about this, really talking about long-term sustainability of for-profit companies require us to be part of the solution when it comes to some of the societal um, challenges that we have. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's obvious, you know, in, uh, you know, given that I've committed my career to working in healthcare, that um, it is part of, um, you know, how we have to approach um, our work. Uh, and so, you know, when you have a product that treats a particular condition to really understand the ecosystem in which we're operating um, is so important, um, you know, for, for this, from the social impact perspective, ensuring that you can provide broad access to a therapy um, is really critical and important. And there's gonna be different ways that you approach doing that depending on um, the circumstances. But you can imagine that if you allow for broad access to a therapy, that that will breed success for us as, as a business as well. And I don't just mean financial, but I mean impact, right? Um, because we measure our impact based not only on the, the financials that we have to report on a quarterly basis, but also on the patients that we serve and, and we track that information. And so, um, you know, you really, you really do um, have to have a starting point of, of curiosity <laughs> on how you can do that. But um, I think companies that are successful um, with regard to making impact in society will in fact also be successful, um, you know, from a business and a financial perspective. Yeah, and I, I mean, we, I think we would all agree on that point. Absolutely, <laughs> right, Mike? That's like, where I was, that's where I was jumping well, in you, Waldo. But was, I will, yeah, well, go ahead, I, Mike, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, Waldo, I just, I, no, I mean, no. uh, Nina, I, I just, I, my hope is that this message gets heard by all 500 of the Fortune 500 companies. What a, what a wonderful message that is. Thank you for, thank you for saying that. Well, and, and what I was going to say, I mean, the, the hard thing is, of course, and you talked about data, you know, but the hard thing is convincing everybody, right? Especially on the leadership team, that that's the way to go. And yeah, because you know a lot of leadership teams, right? Like, like unless it positively impacts the bottom line, and they have proof of that, mm -hmm. it, it's hard for them to make to all make that decision. And you need everybody to all make that decision. And so, besides data, like how? I mean, what are, what are the conversations that you all are having to get the leadership team on board with that tactic, with that strategy? Yeah, I mean, you know, it. it it, it is about um, really appealing to individuals. And, and like I said, um, you know, in, in the healthcare sector, you, um, 
it's very rare that you don't uh, run across people that have a personal story or connection to the work that they do. Um, you know, we have uh, an oncology business and I've worked in the oncology space a few times in my career and you will be amazed at the number of people that are drawn to this work because of a family member or a friend um, or personal impact that they've had um, uh, from someone that's been impacted by cancer. Uh, similarly with um, rare disease, um, we, we have rare disease products and those are products that affect very small populations. Um, but can have really tremendous impacts on, on those individuals. Oftentimes um, it's kids. These are pediatric conditions, conditions that, that, that kids are born with. Um, a lot of um, families are actually behind um, biotech or pharmaceutical companies that start uh, to develop treatments or, or cures um, for rare diseases because of the passion um, that they have for, for helping their own child. Um, and so, you appeal to that uh, to me, right? I mean, that that's really, uh, and it's there. And, and, you know, I'm surrounded by colleagues every day that have stories um, uh, that are so compelling about why they're in this business. And so um, there, there is an element of humanity there where um, we want to do good um, and to be able to do good um, for all you know, folks um, is important. Um, but for me, it goes back to that, environment you're creating from a diversity um, perspective, because you want to make sure that you have folks around the table and in the room who have such a diverse set of perspectives and experiences um, that ensure that we aren't, um, you know, leaving part or sector of, of um, the community out. Uh, so, so that is really important. It's, it's a, you know, you want to appeal to people as individuals, but you want to have those diverse backgrounds and perspectives in order to ensure um, that we're really being holistic in our approach. That's amazing. I absolutely love that. Um, so Nina, uh, I hate to close us out, but this has been an amazing conversation. I think you've given us so much great advice on what leaders can uh, really aim for. What's, what's the North Star they can aim for? And uh, I hope that uh, people come back, listen to this podcast multiple times and actually use this as a way to bring this podcast to their leadership to actually start these conversations. So I just want to thank you again for joining us on the podcast today. Well, thank, thank you all. Uh, it's been a real pleasure and just so appreciate and commend the work that you do as well to create this this great dialogue and um, to allow all of us to learn from each other. So thank you. And thank you to Mike and Yubi as usual. Thank you guys. Uh, thank you, Nina, Nina, co-host, Nina, guest speaker. We, uh, I, I'm so thrilled. Like I actually, like, I feel like you're, I, I know it's, it's, it's like to have a GC, a general counsel of, of a publicly traded company be part of this conversation. I just think brings so so much, um, like it brings leverage to the conversation. I am so thrilled about today. So thank you, Nina, uh, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for everyone for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, just keep listening to us. If you want to continue to hear great leaders like Nina talk about how organizations can build more inclusive environments, continue to build social impact and social responsibility, corporate social responsibility into your organizations. And we will see you next time. Bye everybody.
Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.